Well, good morning. So uh, each month, um, meet with uh, area-wide ministers, and so we have a luncheon each month. And something we've been planning now for several months is uh, coming up on March the 8th, and that is a, a joint worship service, singing service, uh, that's going to be hosted at the Central uh, church facilities there at 6th and Izzard in Little Rock. And so just planting a seed of mark your calendars. And so uh, Brother Kenny Collins, if, if you were here when we hosted a, a, a area-wide singing at Summers a few years ago, uh, Brother Collins is from the Rose City Church and he led that evening. And so if you were here, you remember Kenny Collins. And so Kenny's going to be leading uh, the service and uh, we'll have some, some scripture and uh, some of our uh, ministers will be uh, doing prayer. And so I just want to let you mark your calendar, and so we'll be talking about that as we go through February, uh, just to keep it uh, in fresh on everybody's mind. So, there's a saying that everything is going well until it isn't, right? Or perhaps you've heard everything is fine until it isn't. And, and these may sound pretty, well, duh, yeah, right, of course everything's fine until it's not fine, but I think this is the way we live most of the time. And so, especially most of the time, you know, everything is fine until we are directly revolved in the isn't, right? Everything's fine for us until we're involved in the isn't part. But really, everywhere you look, everything is not always fine. I worked in emergency services for 16 years and, and witnessed the miracle of life and I witnessed the mystery of death many times over, nearly every day. And 911 in itself can be a mystery uh, for somebody who's on the dialing in of that phone number. And so in this area, when you call 911 and you need uh, medical help, you'll be directly connected to MIMS, uh, the ambulance service. And so you will have a, a trained medical professional that will speak to you on the phone and, and try to find out what's going on. And so they'll ask you some questions and they will dispatch the closest, most appropriate a medical response team. And those two descriptions, the closest and most appropriate, are key to understanding what happens next when you tip that first domino. And so your emergency has occurred and all you can see is what's directly in front of you. It's, it's the person or, or whatever you're experiencing yourself, right? And so you're having to deal with an unexpected, sometimes, most of the time, anxiety-induced event and this causes an expected response. And it's known as loss of perspective, right? And so the person or the persons at the scene where this is occurring are personally witnessing or personally experiencing this emergency. They'll have tunnel vision. And there's a very real sense that time stands still when you are in that moment. The clock slows down and you feel like it's forever before help arrives. You know, what's taking them so long? Where are they, right? And perhaps you're thinking, I've seen those ambulances parked behind Neighborhood Market. It shouldn't take them that long to get here, right? Or, or I've seen that, that particular ambulance always sitting on that corner. I know where they are. But there's a different perspective when you're able to see the big picture that's going on. The whole picture. Because the dispatcher knows that the ambulance you have seen behind Neighborhood Market was called to another emergency just before you called 911. And that one that was coming to cover that area hasn't had time to get there yet. So they're responding from further away than you might have expected them to respond, a distance further than usual. Or that crew was in the district, but they weren't as close as you thought they were to that particular location. So it's taking longer 
than you were expecting. There's so much going on that you would not be expected to know because your perspective is limited. But that doesn't mean that help is not on the way. There's a well-thought-out, coordinated emergency response plan that's being followed to accomplish the goal of providing the, the necessary care for anyone who needs it. It's just that most of the time, you don't know what that plan is. We don't know on this end of the phone, right? And, and you will know the plan has worked when you experience the results of it. So we're walking through the Bible this year. Starting in Genesis, of course. Let's start there. What a great place to start, right? And so the Genesis means beginning or origin, the start. And so you read about how the, the, the beginning was launched from a garden where humanity spiraled downward in this self-destruction, but God had a rescue plan. God had a rescue plan. And although the people directly involved at the time could not see the end result or even see their place, in God's rescue plan, we're able to look backwards now. We're able to look and see how God not only attended to their immediate needs, but He was implementing His rescue plan that was going to meet the needs of all humanity for all time. And He gave us a hint of this in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 where He says to the serpent, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And so for thousands of years now, no one really understood what God was talking about. I mean, how could they? They didn't have the perspective. And so, but they did have a God who was proving his faithfulness all along the way. And so when you're talking to the dispatcher, They've already assigned the crew to respond to your location. And so while you wait, they're going to ask you questions. They want to better understand the problem. They're going to offer instructions for basic first aid care that that may be needed. They're going to give emotional support because they understand the anxiety that you are feeling while you're waiting. Now, the full extent of the help you call for is not going to be realized until the one with the ability to provide that hands-on actually arrives. But in the meantime, you have a comforter to talk to, encouraging you, guiding you, reminding you that help is near and getting closer every minute. So God makes a veiled promise of relief from the serpent and and, and all of those who would inflict the same kind of, of destructive wound in the future. But in the meantime, as humanity is multiplying, so are our destructive capabilities. So God brings a flood. But this isn't the relief that mankind was expecting because humanity multiplies again along with our sinful choices and sin's destructive actions. So what? Did, 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 did God forget? Was our 911 call dropped? <laughs> right? Are we, are we just on you know, eternal hold here? And what may seem like the closest response vehicle may not be the most appropriate to take care of what is needed. And so God has a rescue plan, and He's been waiting to dispatch a man named Abram to carry out this plan. And so Abram was the great, 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 great grandson of Shem, who was the son of Noah. If you're doing hash marks, get with me later, I'll give them to you. It's been a long time, right? And so, but now, beyond Adam, beyond his immediate children that were born to him, beyond Noah and the flood and the repopulation of the earth, 
humanity's been on hold. We've been on hold. And the music is not always great, right? When you're sitting there on hold. And so for, we've been on hold for 911 a long, long time. And so chapter 12 of Genesis and verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go out from your country, your relatives and your father's household, to the land that I will show you. He says you leave everything you've ever known. You leave everything about what makes you comfortable and you go. Go where? I'll tell you when we get there. A land I will show you. A place you've never been. Something you can't understand just by me telling you about it. I'm going to have to show you what it is. Then I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will exemplify divine blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but the one who treats you lightly, I must curse so that all the families of the earth may receive blessing through you. So God has a plan and we do not have perspective, right? And so neither did Abram. But Scripture tells us, so Abram left, just as the Lord had told him to do, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now Lot is Abraham's nephew. We'll we'll see that later if you didn't know that. So and, And Abram is 75 years old. And so even in times when they were living well over 100, he's too old to pack up his estate and relocate. Nevertheless, Abram traveled through the land as far as the oak tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now don't miss this important context, this contextual note here that's been included in this account. Look at the end of verse 6. What does it say? At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. This is hard for us to kind of grasp right now, but the folks who were reading this in, in, in the immediate following understood exactly what this was. God brings Abram through not just occupied land, but it's land that's occupied by multiple people groups. People groups who are organized, they're advanced, they're, they're formidable in both civilization and and military capabilities. And God tells Abram, this is the land that I'm giving you. This is the land that your descendants will occupy. I mean, you talk about perspective, right? And so there's archaeological evidence that each people group that Abram wandered through lived in, in fortified cities. Imagine walking through and seeing these huge fortified cities and God's saying, here's the land that I'm going to give you. So I can imagine the mental gymnastics that are going on, right, with with, with Abram as he sees it. He looks around and he sees his wife. He sees his nephew and he sees their, their, their servants. And so can you imagine what's going on in his mind? God, these are all my people. How are we going to do this, Lord? <laughs> How are we going to do this? And the answer is the same today as it was then. God said, we're going to do it together. We're going to do it together. God told Abram to go. He said, you obey and God will fulfill His promise to him. This is faith in action. And so James reminds us that faith without action, faith without works is what? It's dead, right? So Abram believed what God promised, but he had to meet God at the fulfillment point of that promise. Now, Abram didn't know where that fulfillment point's going to be. 
God just told him to go. But he knew, he knew it wasn't in Haran because God told him to go, right? So becoming more like Christ, more, more like God created us to be in His image, involves more than just believing in Jesus. Becoming more like Christ involves meeting God at the fulfillment point of that promise. And sometimes that means an unknown situation. Sometimes it means an unknown outcome or to a hard decision that we're faced with. Sometimes it means sticking with someone or sticking by someone who's doing everything within their ability to make you want to run away. Sometimes that's what it means. But always, it's remembering God's answer together. This is how we're going to do it. Remember, God's big picture is He wants to restore humanity back to the goodness of the... Not back to the garden, back to the goodness of the garden, His original intention for the world, this this unadulterated relationship where sin has no place. That's God's rescue plan for humanity. But just as we struggle with faith today in the sense of trusting fully in God's ability to fulfill His promise... Abram struggled. Abram struggled. It's like the person who calls 911 and instead of of waiting for the promised help, they throw the patient into a vehicle and then they, they, they race to the hospital with their flashers on. Not only are you adding to the anxiety of, of the person who is already suffering, but you're also endangering everyone else on the road that you pass and yourself. You make a bad situation worse when we take matters into our own hands. Oh, parentheses, by the way. Hazard lights do not give you legal authority to run red lights, to speed, and to run other cars off the road. Leave that to the professionals. So, anyway. Uh, so th- but that's what we do. When we force God to conform to our will, which, by the way, He doesn't. You know that, right? Genesis 15. After these things, the Lord's message came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and the one who will reward you in great abundance. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what will you give me since I continue to be childless and my heir is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram added, Since you have not given me a descendant, then look, one born in my house will be my heir. It's good intentions. Abram had good intentions. Abram knew that he and Sarai were too old to bear children, which must be too much for God to overcome, which is why even after God initially promised this, they still don't have kids. It must be too hard for God. So Abram offers God a consolation, right? Surely this is what God needs, right? But look at the Lord's... Look, the Lord's message came to him. This man will not be your heir, but instead a son who comes from your own body will be your heir. And the Lord took him outside and said, Gaze into the sky and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So will your descendants be. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it as righteousness to him. And so God, by His own admission, is patient. He is slow to anger. He is merciful towards the weakness of humanity. And so Abram was struggling. He was struggling with understanding what God was asking of him. Do you ever struggle with what God is asking of you? He seems to struggle with the literal promise that God has made. So here's the thing. God, in His patience, 
and His mercy. He, he bends down to Abram's level. He meets Abram where he is. And He offers something to Abram that Abram will understand fully. It's a covenant. A covenant. Now, covenant's a word that seems ancient to our modern vocabulary. We don't throw that word around much anymore, I think. And we might want to substitute promise in the place of covenant. But covenant and promise are not identical, even though they're a little related. And so the origin of this Old Testament word has been, been debated, but the preferred meaning of the Old Testament is this word bond. It's bonding. A covenant refers to two or more parties who are bound together. And so Yahweh, which is the God's covenant name He reveals to Israel, Yahweh is revealing Himself as the Sovereign One here to Abram. And He gives him His covenantal promise. Spiritual well-being. Making a great nation of Him and making Him famous and making, using Him as a channel of blessing to the entire earth, to all people. And so Yahweh emphasized the stipulations of the covenant. That Abram should walk before me, God says. That, that's remain in, in constant, everyday spiritual fellowship with God. And to be blameless. That's not being perfect. But it's living uprightly. It's living according to God's will among those around you. And then God does something that, that seems outrageous to and, and, from what we know and what we can understand about God in our own cultural context. But for Abram, this was affirmation that the, the God of this promise, the, the God of, of, of covenant, is one who honors His covenant. So check this out. Chapter 15 and verse 9. The Lord said to him, You take from me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So Abram took all these for him and then cut them in two and placed each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Verse 17, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, a smoking fire pot with a flaming torch passed between the animal parts. That day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. That's out of sight, right? What God is telling him. These are all these people that you just walked through. And I'm giving you this land. And so this, this whole process here is known as cutting a covenant. Cutting a covenant. And that's the most firm of binding agreement any human can enter into at this time. This wasn't something weird and unusual that God was, was, was showing to Abram. This was something, a process, a procedure, a ceremony that anyone would have done during that time. The difference is there's only one who will honor for all time His, his Word, and that's God. So this covenant is between God and Abram. So God's showing Abram that the promise is true and that God is holding Himself accountable to what He promised Abram. And so God's later on going to hold Abraham accountable for his obedience because God is going to ask for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, the child of promise, right? Sacrifice on the mountain. Spoiler alert, 
God stops him, right? So we know that. So, and, and, and Isaac's going to have a couple of sons, right? Jacob and Esau, who are going to have sons after him. But this promise, although still not fulfilled, it's carried through. It's handed down. It's continued through the lineage of Jacob and, and his twelve sons. And so, and, and when we're reading through this, we've got to be careful in, in reading these stories, careful in looking for how to be a good person. Right, and lifting up some of these folks and, and how to be a good person because in every case there was evil and there was disobedience and there was regret as the train comes off the rails time after time. But also, in every story is the God who is merciful, who is slow to anger, who is loving, who is purposeful in His interaction with His creation. And so the Bible isn't some book of morally upright characters who we should try to be like. Abraham makes immoral choices. Isaac makes immoral choices. Jacob makes some immoral choices. And on and on in every generation, there are moments when God must absolutely cringe. This Bible, this book, is a book about God. And how even in the face of rejection and rebellion and resistance, God is faithful to His covenant promise. Everything is fine until it isn't. But God is still on His throne. And His will is still going to be accomplished. And so this is no more evident in the family of Abraham than we see with Joseph when we get to him. And so Abraham's great-grandchild here, whose brothers sell him as a slave to some traders heading down to Egypt. And through God's providence, Joseph has this rise to power and then a fall from, from, from the government's grace and then a rise to power again, this cycle that he finds himself in. After which, he finds himself in a position to save the lives of the very brothers who wanted to kill him. And so Joseph, at the end of, towards the, the end of this kind of episode, he sums up this, this human condition that was created in the garden and, and, and one in which we struggle today. Because life can be hard. And life can be cruel and unforgiving. Which causes us to forget how much beauty and how much majesty and how much opportunity life also holds. So Joseph tells his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, in verse 20, As for you, you meant to harm me, but God intended it for a good purpose so He could preserve the lives of many people, as you can see this day. And that's the journey of faith. That is the walk of faith. That no matter what Satan uses against us, no matter what the world twists to burden us with the isolation of obedience, no matter what physical or, or emotional or spiritual battle that wearies us during our life, Satan means it to harm us, but God means it for a purpose. A good purpose. And nowhere is this more evident than in Jesus Christ. Because the serpent continues to strike our heel as sin is still our greatest enemy to a peaceful relationship with God. But Jesus has crushed the serpent's head just as God promised in the garden. And the family of Abraham through whom Jesus was born into this flesh fulfilled God's purpose in blessing all the nations of the earth. And now we, through Jesus, as children of faith, we are each one 
of those more numerous than the stars in the sky and the, and the sand on the seashore. And through the, the recollection of faithful servants like Abraham, who could not see the end result, or even see their place in the execution of God's plan, we are able to look backwards at how God not only attended to, to their immediate needs, but God in His great wisdom, His great mercy, His great love for all of us was implementing His rescue plan that would meet the needs of all humanity for all time. And that's even you. And that's even me. And that's even when we can't see it. Brothers and sisters, the comfort of God's Word is that God knows. God cares. God acts. And this morning, He wants you to know and to care and to act on whatever is limiting your relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. If it's sin, confess it. Repent of it. And receive God's forgiveness. If it's obedience, confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins. Submit yourself to Him. Be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the gift of God's Spirit on the other end of that line. Comforting, reassuring, reminding that we have a home eternal in the heavens, not made with hands. One we cannot fully see, but one we can certainly live in hope and assurance for. This morning, we're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement, of thoughtfulness, And if we can help you in any way while we are assembled together as brothers and sisters in Christ, will you come now as we stand and sing?